Welcome to Hard Note. This startup caper is hard work. The startup founder reality is problem solving at its most extreme. A series of U-turns, struggles, setbacks, and adjustments on the path to creating tech-enabled businesses that customers and users love. Join us on this storytelling series with a roll call of technology company founders, investors, operators, and outliers as they share anecdotes of the journey towards sustainable growth. Hosted and curated by the team at Tractor Ventures. Welcome to Hard Mode. Hard Mode. Hard Mode. Welcome to Hard Mode featuring Jimmy Zong, founder and CEO of Syncio. Syncio is on a mission to take commerce to its next stage, collaborative commerce. This is a world where merchants can seamlessly partner with other merchants to cross-promote and sell each other's products and where merchants can grow together. This occurs via real-time inventory, product and order syncing across online stores, reducing the immense time required to manage inventory across different shop fronts. This episode is hosted by Tractor Ventures co-founder and co-CEO Matt Allen. Enjoy. Cool. Hey, so uh, this is Hard Mode and welcome Jimmy from Syncio. Thanks, Matt. Um, let's, uh, let's kick off. Um, you and I have been, uh, mates for, I don't know, it must be probably three or four years now. And, um, I've been following you along this journey. So why don't you tell us, um, how did Syncio come up, come about? What does it do? And, uh, where, where are you at at the moment? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. It must be three, four, maybe five, four years. Yeah. Probably four or five years now. Yeah. It's been a quite a, quite a journey between us. But, uh, Syncio... I kind of call Synchio the accidental startup. So Synchio is my third startup mm. all up. So I started my startup <laughs> startup journey in around 24, late 2014, 2015. And the, my first startup was called Akagu. It was a reverse auction marketplace for independent fashion designers. And what we were trying to do was solve a pricing issue in the fashion industry and we realized that there were lots of uh, these independent boutiques and, and, and fashion designers kind of like closing down or like really struggling to, to stay afloat and resorting more and more in, in selling the, the inventory or their products through very heavy sales or discounting. Um, and we thought there's something, something that we can help there. So we thought that we could create this marketplace where we could connect uh, all these independent designers with uh, consumers that wanted to choose a price that they wanted to pay for the for the products, but with the also at a margin that was sustainable for these designers. And without knowing how much effort was required with a marketplace, building a two-sided marketplace, we um, and just f- just focusing on the product side, the technology side, building that platform was a complete nightmare. And what we, after a year of doing so, we, we only got probably about 40% into the platform, uh, building the platform and we built the complete front end. So for the consumer, it looked like a beautiful marketplace. Um, everything functioned in terms of payments and all that stuff. But on the back end for the, for the designer, uh, what we envisioned was the ability for them to create their own store, set up their own auctions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we, we didn't get anywhere near that. And we had to basically do everything manually. So when a designer hmm. decided, yep, Akagu sounds like an awesome, awesome marketplace to sell on. Let's, let's go ahead. We then have to get them to send us the inventory through usually a Google spreadsheet or, or CSV file. 
And then we did manually upload this to a Kagu. And, you know, say like typical collection from a designer would be around 30 products. 30 products, each of these products manually uploaded to a Kagu. And then with all the product details, images, all that information, that would typically take about an hour to do. Oh, wow. And then once it's uploaded, the the nightmare gets worse, actually. The nightmare gets worse. Once it gets uploaded and it's discoverable and, and, and consumers can can go onto the marketplace, marketplace and, and buy these things, the inventory was already out of date. And so after a short period of time, when we made a sale, it was initially excitement and happiness, quickly followed by the stress of uh you know going back to the to the designer sending that order to them and then you know like the designer coming back to us saying sorry guys this is out of stock um you're gonna have to tell the customer that or the consumer that you know um we'll have to refund you and uh, what you because it was an auction it was an ex- kind of very exciting kind of experience that they've won um what they won actually isn't available <laughs> for them mm. So, um, so yeah, that created a, a really bad user experience and was completely unsustainable for us, both from the admin side of just setting up all these, oh, no. all these uh, stores and all these products and then keeping, trying to keep the inventory <laughs> up to date so that whatever was available was actually available to, to, to the, to scalability of it, um, as well. So, um, building out the full kind of like backend for the, for the designers wasn't feasible because we were also running out of money at the same time <laughs> and and so then we thought okay how do we how do we solve this and what we came up with was basically a, a, an inventory integration f- to the designers online store and what we found was usually they were on shopify so we built a, a, a integration to shopify um, we'd learn a lot about the designers kind of like day-to-day operations and we realized that they were super super busy and um, they didn't want to manage another kind of channel and so we built this integration with the within mind that these designers are super busy so we don't really want to create another job for them and so this integration from a user experience perspective basically was three clicks for the designer and that was it um, they get an invitation they click accept yeah, right. and that's essentially it <laughs> Um, so then it, their store is integrated to a Kagu. And then after that, we, we have visibility over the inventory and we can sync the inventory that we've agreed with the designer to sell on a Kagu. And then the inventory is up to date in real time. So if it's sold out on their end, it's sold out on our end. Mm-hmm. And then if we make a sale, we can send that order directly back to their uh, Shopify backend to fulfill. Um, and that order looked like a order, just like any other normal order. And they can just go through their normal process. Nice. So... That worked really well. Um, we were able to, we basically struggled to, to manage about a dozen designers pre this integration. And then after that, we, we quickly scaled to over 50 designers. Unfortunately, we ran out of money uh, around the same time. Uh, and we'd raised about $200,000 just to, just to get this, uh, get a cargo up and running. <laughs> but, you know, just the, 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 the issues that we faced early on before this integration meant that we, we ran out of money around the same time. Um, also, around the same, like this period, we've, we've probably spent one and a half years building Akagu, working with these designers. Um, we learned a lot about the fashion industry as well. 
and we realized that the pricing issue that we were trying to solve um, and that pricing, the solution for like that reverse auction, I think worked pretty well as well. We just couldn't scale it. So on average, we recovered over 10% margin for the designers. So the designers were making more money through Akagu. And then from the consumer side, because they were able to, to, to choose the price that they wanted to pay for these products, it was always a really positive experience that they, they had, um, aside from if they bought something that wasn't in stock. <laughs> Um, so, so that worked out pretty well. Just we weren't able to scale it, mm. but you know that pricing issue was only the tip of the tip of the iceberg in terms of the fashion fashion industry. And what we realized was basically every step of that supply chain was was stuffed. Um, and we learned a lot about ethical and sustainable fashion at the same time. And I got really into that. Hmm. Um, naturally, working with independent designers, um, most of them were. Uh, or they're obviously, well, they're independent, so and, and a lot of them were had that ethical and sustainable kind of focus already. Um, from the consumer side, we we also noticed that the that more and more consumers were really really interested in 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 sourcing side of things, uh, what materials, uh, particular products were made from, um, whether they're local, uh, things of that nature, and so like it just got me thinking, okay, like this ethical and sustainable fashion side, we can create more impact if we focus on that. Um, and so like we ran out of money. I was now really, really into ethical and sustainable fashion. Um, and we had just built this integration that made made our marketplace vision possible um, in terms of the backend operations. What happened then was we Uh, convinced the investor to 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 put that money into uh, focusing on ethical and sustainable fashion. Um, we had built this integration to to connect with stores uh, at scale, but we thought that with the auction, even though it worked, we we'd have to continue building our own platform, and we thought that that would be too complex. So we decided to pivot, uh, focus completely on ethical and sustainable fashion, rebrand from Akagu to to Ethi. Um, in terms of the technology, we decided to use Shopify. And Shopify had everything you needed except that it wasn't designed to be a, a two-sided marketplace. It wasn't designed for you to, to work with and collaborate with all of these different merchants or vendors. The good thing, though, is that we had that integration. And so then we, 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 we used Shopify. We had this integration to basically create this two-sided marketplace on Shopify and within six months, we'd, we'd grown to over 70 brands. We'd expanded into more than just fashion. It, was, it became an ethical and sustainable lifestyle marketplace. Um, and that integration eventually became Syncure. And, and that was basically enabling Effie to grow. And that, by then, that was end of 2017. Very cool. So um, it seems to me that, um, you know, you experienced the problem. You're, you're one of those founders that have uh, lived experience, right? You didn't observe this casually happening over the fence and wander over towards it. This was a real pain that you were solving for yourself as your first customer almost. Is that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like if you, if you locked me in a room or something and you gave me infinite amount of time to try and like, kind of like think of Syncure, I don't think I would ever have 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 thought of a syncure. Yeah, um, yeah it, cool. it really had to be that lived experience um, and feeling that pain. And and it turned out that um, you know lots of other businesses experience the same pain. 
Yeah. When we when we built FD to to what it was um, by the end of 2017, the crazy thing was that like a lot of these uh, brands that were selling FE, you know, the the first piece of feedback was like this is a great channel for us because we're we're growing um, and we're creating we're making more sales. But the second piece of feedback was it was so easy to work with Effie. Mm. Like, you know, like basically it felt like an extension of their own e-commerce store. Um, they didn't have to spend much time, you know, like managing another channel. The inventory was up to date in real time. So they don't, never had to worry about that aspect. And all they, expect, all they had to ex- expect was, was more sales coming into, the, into, their, um, into their pipeline. So they started to ask about Syncure. Uh, whether they could use Syncio for themselves. Um, you know, they work with other retailers and partners and, and marketplaces and, and they were thinking, can you guys make Syncio a public app on Shopify? Hmm. Um, so then they could install it and then um, invite their other partners and other retailers to install it and then basically create the same kind of operational efficiencies. It, it seems to me, Jimmy, that... um. If I was a an excited investor, that sounds like a network effect to me. Hundred percent, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, like originally, you know, we were so focused on FE. We we're like, oh, I don't know, like this is one. This is kind of like deviating from the FE. Um, what we did with FE, mm-hmm. and then we initially also thought, okay, some of our competitors using Syncure might, you know, like um, it might be counterproductive for FE. Yep. Um, but then we thought, like, if you know, like Effie's value proposition shouldn't be just Syncure. Um, and so we thought, okay, why not? Let's just put into the into the Shopify app store, um, let our brands use it and, and then see what happens. Mm. And and so then we we launched at the end of 2017. And yeah, these brands installed Syncure, invited their partners to install Syncure, and then that network effect started to grow. Yeah, right. So 2017, uh which is a little while ago now. We're at the uh, the end of 2022. Tell us, tell us what happened next. Like, so Syncio, um, as you said, has been it wasn't bootstrapped, but your your couple of shareholders that, that that took a small stake in your business have now sort of seen you move through a couple of pivots. Um, yep. And and now you've gone well. We're no longer an ethical uh, lifestyle business. We're a Shopify plugin. Surprise. Like, <laughs> what happened next? Yeah, so so Syncio, yeah, Sync, that network effect was was starting to to take hold, and and Syncio was growing in the background. Um, early 2018, I applied for the Melbourne Accelerator Program. Yep, and I applied with Effie initially, and last minute, like or almost last minute, basically the final hour of that um, the deadline to to submit an application to Melbourne Accelerator Program or MAP. I decided to apply with Syncure as well. And, and so like frantically recorded a video, like the pitch and, um, and then and got everything just in time um, for, for, the, for the deadline. And then, and then surprisingly, Mel, Map came back to, to me and we had just got through into the next round, but not with Effie, with Syncure. Ooh. Um, and, and because I applied with two, they obviously know that I was working on two startups. And uh, the requirement f- to get into the program was that you work full-time on the startup that you that they accept. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, which is fair enough. Um, but that created this kind of dilemma for me where like, oh, like, you know, like it, I was very much still like 
you know, focused on Ethi. And, but like this, this map, like I, this was like my fourth time that I've applied. Like I applied with Akagu like three times rejected. Um, and Effie, Effie was essentially rejected too. Sinkyo is getting in like, but it's Sinkyo. <laughs> it's not like my course, like my core focus. Mm. Um, but you know, like, like how, how often do you get these opportunities? And, um, you know, I've gone through like so much rejection already. It was a very tough decision. Thankfully with Effie, I had a co-founder as well. So, um, we decided, okay, like she, like it, there, there wouldn't be too much impact into for Effie. Uh, my co-founder could, could continue to work, you know, day to day on Effie. I can still be involved kind of after hours, but like my focus would be on Syncure. Mm-hmm. And so then we got accepted into, to, into map with Syncure in 2018. Yep. And, and that was the clear kind of like divide of my time towards these two startups. Um, Syncure continued to just grow. Like we, you know, we hadn't, it was just basically this passive project, like kind of side project, um, kind of managing it passively on the, and, and it was just on the Shopify app store. But that network effect was like to the point where like, even if we didn't get into to map, I think I would have had to just focus full time on Syncure anyway, because it was, you know, we were getting it big. We had over 500 stores or something um, at that time. Yeah, customers seem to customers are demanding. They they ask for things that you don't have, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, and um, and and even just the customer support side, um, like the inbound sales, like that part was just getting getting pretty full on. And I remember like the first week in Map, I, had to, I got this private number call, um, and then I don't normally pick it up, but for some reason I did that time, and then it was like, "Hi, are you? Hi, is this Sinku?" I'm like, "Yeah." It's like, "Oh, it's uh." You know, blah 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 from Kukai. <laughs> uh, we just installed Syncio, and we just, you know, we wanted to uh, make sure that we were using it properly, and if there's any tips and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like, wow, like, you know, I've been working with these independent fashion designers for for a couple of years now, and like a Kukai was like basically the the gold standard, right? <laughs> like every independent fashion designer was trying to become a Kukai. Mm. And, um, you know, for a, for a Kagu and, and even Effie, like we were just like, you know, a Kukai would be one of those kind of five-year goals. <laughs> you know? and, and, and for them to just call us out of the blue, um, we didn't even try to sell them on, on installing Syncure or anything like that. And they just, they found it themselves, they've installed it and, and they're calling us. Like that was a, that was a real a light bulb moment that's really cool let's um let's focus about and sort of fast forward a little bit so um post map um i know you did start mate um yeah and then kind of let's zip through that and and get to where you're at at the moment and then we can start talking about some of the uh some of the hard bits yeah yeah so um 2019 yeah got into start mate which was crazy experience uh sinker continued to just grow so by 29 start mate period it was probably like I think we had like 2,000 or 2,500 uh, merchants using us. We And all of that was really network affected and, and referral and um, organic growth. Like we we do very little marketing. We, haven't, we don't do any sales. Um, we're a team of three wow. in Startmate. We've now grown to a team of 13. Uh, after Startmate 2020, what happened then? COVID. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so COVID... Uh, that was a very interesting experience. After Startmate, you know, that was really like, do we go down the VC path or do we like what, like 
what should we do there? Yeah. Um, yeah, we had a lot of interest from investors and it was, you know, like you go through Startmate and it's like the perfect platform for you to, you know, like fundraise and, 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 and be in the spotlight. And so, you know, like I thought about that and, and in 2020, early 2020, we, 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 we did really get, we did get close to, to, to fundraising with a VC um, and we got a term sheet and all that kind of stuff. But we like ultimately decided not to go down the VC route. Um, not at the time. Why was that? Like what? Like what? What was your talk us through your decision tree there? Because yeah, you you'd grown a lot in Startmate. You know, uh, you were bootstrapped. You had revenue. I think you even had lots of revenue then. Um, you know, heading towards millions of dollars. Right? Like we're not we're not yeah. mucking about here. Um, why did you decide that? Um, you know, the the path of strapping the rockets on was maybe not for you right now. Yeah, yeah, we we had some serious revenue. We were profitable um, back in twenty twenty. Shock horror. <laughs> yeah, so like they, these things all like formed like the like that decision. But like I think I think ultimately like I, I just uh, become a dad as well. Ah, and, yes. Um, yeah, I had my my first child at the end of twenty nineteen, and you know I felt like that was something something like I, I needed to focus on a lot. Um, Sinker as well, like, you know, the growth side, like I was like, like we're kind of like, to be honest, we we're struggling to keep pace <laughs> with Sinker's growth. Um, financially, it was, wasn't too much of a worry because we were profitable. So I wasn't, you know, necessarily stressing about our bank account mm. too much. Um, customer acquisition side it was like virtually zero so like like the the model that we were on was like very sustainable mm-hmm. um and the growth we continued to grow at such a great pace that like you know strapping the the, the like you know the like that rocket onto Synco like wasn't necessarily essential mm-hmm. um because we were essentially we, we were a rocket ship already <laughs> and um and then I thought, like you know, when you when you decide to partner with VC, like it is serious, right? Like um, you know, I've heard about that analogy of that, like it's essentially getting married. <laughs> yeah. Again, and uh, I just thought that, like, I I wouldn't, I don't think it would be fair to to, to partner with a VC at the time because, like, I I wouldn't be a hundred percent in 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 terms of um, moving in that direction. And then I wanted to really give this um, like fatherhood thing a real crack. And... Yeah, interesting. So, so what I'm hearing, Jimmy, and I remember like, you know, you were, this was not an easy decision for you um, back in the day, uh, you know, especially when you finish what is Australia's <clears throat> best accelerator. Mm. And I remember you got to the slide, uh, you know, at the end that said, we're not raising, Oh yeah. you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to be profitable. And everyone was like, what the hell's going on? Um, you know, but the the family side of things and your, you know, your, I guess the, you know, the pressure you put yourself under to drive this business forward combined with other people, like talk a little bit more about that because I know, I know that was a, a thing that you, like it took you quite a while to make that decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think like I, I, like in hindsight, like I, so how, how this whole like um, term sheet and, and, and almost going down the VC path happened was it, it, it wasn't really like me, like it wasn't me initiating it and I was kind of on the fence and, um, but like, you know, the interest came from the VCs mm-hmm. and so then I kind of just like went with the flow and then, mm-hmm. that, and then it just eventually happened like that. Um, but like, if I was like, 
if I were to do it again, like it, I would really have to, like, if I wanted to raise, I would start the conversation. I would, you know, set it up and, and, and have a proper plan in terms of like what my objectives were and like, um, and all that kind of stuff. Um, at the time, you know, after Startmate, I was, yeah, I said, look, we're not, we're not fun. We're not fundraising. Um, but, you know, to be honest, I, I wasn't even, I was like kind of, it wasn't a hundred percent conviction. <laughs> I was just like, look, I don't want to, I don't really want to talk to investors, but I also don't not want to talk to investors. Like I was pretty on the fence, maybe 60, 40, not raising. Um, and then kind of went with the flow. And, but, you know, to me that I think, you know, again, and in hindsight, like if you're like 60, 40 or, 70 30 that's you know that means you're you're basically you're not in it yeah it's, like it's not enough fundraise. right like yeah it's and, not and enough yeah there's nothing um you know nothing more challenging for a um a founder who kind of accidentally takes external capital that yeah. has you know that has very specific and large expectations attached to it right and you know you and i you know i have a lot of friends that are all vc backed founders right you know we have literally cohorts of them um uh, you know that have gone through yeah. start mate and and you 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 mentally have to be all in right like that's that's almost like that's step one you know you gotta you gotta be there personally and then you've got to try and go find the capital but i think you know the capital can't convince you that this is a good idea yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah so that was where did we finish there? 2019, 2020? Like 20, yeah, talk us through the last couple of years. We've had a we've had a little uh, little global pandemic and your team's gone from three <laughs> to thirteen. So it seems to me that maybe e commerce, you know, the wave of e commerce has been kind to Syncio. Yeah, very, very lucky in that sense. Yeah. We're massive e commerce tailwinds uh, through the pandemic. It was one of the few sectors that actually did well through uh, and grew um, through through a really unfortunate event. And uh, so we rode that wave in 2020 and, and through to 20, basically to now, um, I mean, e-commerce has slowed down mm -hmm. since, since 2021, really. Um, but we haven't really experienced that um, from, from our end. Um, we've continued, we'll probably double again in revenue. We kind of went triple, double, double mm -hmm. um, in terms of revenue. Again, no marketing, no sales. Um, so that's been, that's been a crazy crazy ride um we did end up taking some capital in 2021 and we went with with you guys and tractor i remember you guys you know launched tractor and i was like wow this is like a f crazy crazy interesting <laughs> fundraising or, or, or capital path that a startup could take yeah are you one of our very first uh borrowers which is great i mean it was one of those things where the conversation that you and i had was what could you do with some more money? And the answer yeah. was, you know, I think, you know, the team's pretty, the team's running at capacity at the moment. I need a few more people. Um, you know, I could wait, I could wait, you know, over the next six months, I could hire another three or four people because the revenue will sustain it. But maybe if I had it now, I'd have the confidence to, to, to help my team out a little bit, right? I think that was yeah, the, the, main, the main sort of use case for your capital. And, and those team, interesting enough, I think some of them went into customer success and customer support back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so just a little bit more capital allowed me to to hire more aggressively, mm -hmm. um, and it was like I didn't need like millions of dollars of capital. Like, it, it, I just would struggle to understand what I would use it for. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, the tractor amount that that I that I borrowed was the right amount to 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 push me more um, in terms of growth. 
but it also wasn't it didn't mean that you know like uh you know there were like you know the cap table would have to be updated um i would be diluted and you know like i still basically had all my optionality mm-hmm. and and the flexibility to to run Syncure as I as I as I wanted. Yeah, and you know, I was just uh, having to poke around our our back end just to sort of see how things are going. And it turns turns out that, you know, the last, especially the last sort of nine months have, have been accelerating pretty quickly. So tell us a little bit like sort of what's happened over the last little bit because it seems like things are heading up and to the right. Yeah. I mean the the network effect can continues to be like gathering momentum. And so um, I mean since so I mean, there's that, that broadly speaking, but like in terms of what we've done to improve Syncio, we've you know we we initially started with inventory, like that's basically the the basic building blocks for any any of these retailers, right? Like if you have if you don't have any inventory, then then you can't sell anything, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yeah. So so inventory is the basic building blocks, and we got that really right. But then listening to our customers, we realized that you know that. You know, okay, cool. We've got inventory. We don't have to worry about that anymore. We're making sales. And then that sales part is causing more work for them, really. So like, you know, an order place, like how do you how do you manage that? How do you keep orders up to date? If an order changes, if a customer needs to add a new item or or remove an item from that order, how how does Syncio can Syncio help sync that and keep that up to date? So then the supplier isn't sending the wrong order to the customer. Um, so we we decided to to also add like an order syncing functionality um, in terms of like the the cataloging and merchandising side. Again, yeah, great. Like inventory is up to date. I can import a product initially, but what happens if I decide to change the pricing or or like order to add a new variant, like a like a new color or new size to to this product? Can Syncure update that too? Mm. And we're like, yeah, sure, why not? And so we, we, we decided to create another feature uh, called our product settings sync, which keeps that kind of like all the product information up to date. Um, Amazing. And, then, and what, what um, so is that, has that driven, you know, uh, increase through your existing customer base? If, if, is, what's the take up of that being through your existing customers? Yeah, yeah. Our existing customers, so probably one in four would use uh, that product settings um actually yeah one basically 25 percent of our customers would be using the product settings add-on um, and the orders add-on yeah right so that's um good for uh you know uh net revenue retention every customer pays you more over time which also adds to your uh, your top line which is exciting um hopefully a little easier to uh sell to them when you can just send them an email saying by the way tick this box and we're good to go um, yeah. we've, uh, so let's, um, you know, the name of our podcast is called hard mode. And I know that this, um, you know, the narrative that we just put together then is all the shiny good bits. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Jimmy, uh, you and I have had some, some deep conversations over the years that we spent with each other around, you know, the, the things that really dwell in your mind, the things that, that, you know, the, the junctions where you have to make a decision that's hard around, you know, whether it's extra capital, whether it's team members, whether it's product decisions, whether it's, you know, bending, you know, listening to your customers versus sort of telling them what, what, what you need them to do. Like 
let's talk about some of the stuff that's that was some of the hardest challenges. And, you know, even I know that you know you've just had your your second kid as well, um, mm. which just gets it doesn't get it's not twice as hard when you have two kids. Um, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about some of the bits that really sort of reminded you that that you've got a you know that this founder's journey is 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 hard hard work. Yeah, it is. It is hard work. Um, you know, like the like the probably the low point in my my startup journey was sometime around 2016. Just probably the end of life of Vakagu around that period. And you know, this was this was like pre pre family life, and like basically all of my waking life was dedicated to Vakagu and. Um, I had really fallen behind in terms of my health and and, and family and, and friends and all that kind of stuff. And um, I remember visiting my auntie who, who, who was who was a lovely figure to me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hadn't really seen or spoken to her for, for a long time because I was so focused on Akagu. Um, and I and I just went over to hers to visit and, and and catch up with some of my cousins as well. And was driving home really late um, that night, and I was so tired that I actually fell asleep. And then I um, crashed my car. Oh man! And it was like around midnight. Um, thankfully, you know, there was no other cars on the road. Otherwise, I, I would have probably been in a bigger accident. But I totaled my car, and. It obviously the crash made a massive uh, noise in that neighborhood, and um, you know I wasn't hurt, thankfully, not physically, but um, you know mentally it was it was very I felt very lonely and isolated and, and embarrassed because you know that crash caused everyone to kind of wake up or, or get out of their house, and everyone was wondering what was going on, and it was just you know like um, me and this crash car and. And, and then just seeing like everyone's everyone's worried about like whether I'm okay, but then also like what the hell were you doing? Mm. Um, and then the cops came and all that kind of stuff. And um, I remember Ruby, my wife, she she was overseas at the time, so I, I called her and I was just like, oh, you know, like I got into an accident, like, and it was just yeah, that, that was probably the the low point. Um, and it was just like all of these things happening at once, um, you know, kind of end of life of Kagu. I think shortly before that, I had just hired my, um, like, kind of like my first major hire, um, like a marketing lead mm-hmm. for a Kagu. And, and, and she decided to, like, you know, she bought into the Kagu vision and, and she flew down from um, Sydney, uh, relocated to Melbourne to, to work with me. And um, it didn't work out, like... And it was just, and so I had to let her go, unfortunately. Um, and it wasn't really her fault. It was just that I didn't really understand what I needed. Um, and making making that hard decision to let her go. Like there was all these things factoring into to this to this car accident. And um, and I think that was a big wake up call for me in terms of okay, like what am I? Yes, this is like I'm I'm, I'm working really hard to get this this dream or this vision into reality and i enjoy it but at what cost you know yeah um you know one thing i know about you jimmy is that you do you know you you nowadays especially are quite um you know holistic when you're making your decisions and mm. you're thinking about the impact on yourself and your family you know and, and your staff members i know how much you like that that story you just told you know resonates every time you and I talk about having to deal with um, what the impact your decision is going to make on the people around you. 
you know, it's not the not the first time uh, it's clear to me that that you deliberate heavily about this stuff. Um, tell us a little bit more around your, you know, the balance you try and strike now with the family and your business, because thirteen people, uh, thirteen people has got. 13 sets of opinions and problems and, mm-hmm. and, um, and, uh, desires and needs and, um, you know, sick pay and all kinds of stuff. And you've got two little kids and, and you know, and your wife is also a busy woman. Um, tell us mm. a little bit about sort of how you juggle all that stuff nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's re- yeah, the balance is really, really challenging. Um, 13, 13 people, 13 opinions, um, <laughs> but also 13, Kind of like what I call energy givers, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So like, um, what we're trying to focus, what I try and focus on is is how 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 can we kind of like radiate in terms of our energy, so then we you know we can kind of bounce off each other, and um, that's essentially what like you know it is like you know there is a like you know making sure that everyone's growing and everyone's happy at the work. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know when you get that right that that when you go when you do go to work it does sound kind of cliche it does bring a lot of energy for you to you so so there's that from the work perspective from the family perspective also it it is similar as well so rather than thinking about like the kids uh, it's like kind of like admin <laughs> in a way like you know like oh you know you got to like uh, stop working and and you got to go pick up pick up your child and, and, and then cook dinner and all that kind of stuff and, and put them to bed. Like um, really, really just be present and, and, and try and just, if like, I found like being present, like whether you're at work or, or, or you've, you've switched into, into, into parent mode, like if you can just be present, then you really appreciate what's in front of you. And so like, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm picking up, um, if I'm picking up my daughter from childcare, I'm thinking about work, then that really sucks. Because like you're you're in this kind of like in between state and you can't do either job properly. Yeah, um, you certainly can't do your work because it's just in your head and you're driving right. Like and you, you've got to do other things. Um, but because and then if you pick up your daughter and you're thinking about work, you're not really there. Um, and then there's this beautiful little girl in front of you that is you know trying to you know like make you laugh and, and do all these type of things right. <laughs> so like I think. Being present has really helped um, or kept me sane, but also like it, it makes you feel, oh, wow, like life is really beautiful. Um, when you're spending time with, with your kids, it's, you know, it's just like any moment is like a kind of like precious memory in a way. Right. That's, um, that's, that's lovely, man. And I know that you, um, you know, there has been times when you've really struggled, you know, to get that balance right. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, there's times, especially when, you know, the hard stuff at work, it's hard to get out of your head. It's hard to be present mm-hmm. at home. It's hard to not, you know, let your mind drift back to those problems you're trying to solve. I think, um, I think you've hired a few people lately. You told me that, um, you know, that have taken some of the load off you personally, because as a founder, of course, you were, were wearing about 73,000 hats. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I've got this theory and I, I say it to my crew at work all the time, which is, look, everybody can do one or maybe two things really well. And the mm. third through, you know, N, you just get diminishing returns on that stuff, right? Like it's just, you're just not good at it. You don't enjoy it. Um, you probably don't, you know, you don't enjoy it. Your results aren't there. You don't deliver well. But if it's your job, you got to get it done. Um, but if you can optimize everybody to do their one or two things they do well and just let them own it, right? I, I, I 
you know, felt like the first 40 years of my life was trying to make up for inadequacies. And then when I turned 40, I'm like, no, nah, fuck that. I'm just going to double down on the <laughs> shit I like and, and, and let the people around me do the stuff they like and make sure that if there's a crossover in the Venn diagram, that we can have a really smart adult conversation about it and figure out who's going to take ownership of something we could both do. Um, and it's like that, that to me has felt like a bit of, bit of rocket fuel inside Tractor. Um, and I, I've seen that in you as well, right? Because I know you were like, in, when it comes to product and stuff like that, is it's been a, an interesting journey for you on, you know, being the product guy as well, being the one who actually mm. owns that product. You want to talk a little bit about how you sort of juggle being the CEO plus being the product guy and the, and, and the things that you've had to do, even though you may not be your forte? Yeah, uh, 100%. Matt, like I think what you you you've done and with Tractor and, and being really humble and, and aware of your strengths and, and and your weaknesses and and what what Tractor needs from you has been really inspiring. And so you know, taking that with Sinker, like I you know, we just hired a product lead, mm-hmm. and she she's a product lead, right? Like she she's supposed to know about product more than anyone in the team, um, and she's supposed to own that. And, and that's empowering. Um, that's empowering for me. That's empowering for everyone else. And, and, and that just to get to that kind of mindset, like it's not like it's taken a few years, I think. Um, but now that, you know, that now that she's there and that, and that applies to everyone in our team, you know, like the CTO and, and, and our customer experience people, like, you know, the design lead, like, you know, they're, they're there because, because of a reason. Um, and they're really, really good at what they do. Um, so I've gone from like, yeah, like, you know, the product guy at one point I was the support guy and like, you know, all of these things at one time, um, I now need to kind of reinvent myself. Um, and I think that the challenge with being the CEO, this like kind of this stage of a startup or company is that like, you, you know, even as the product guy, you're not quite the expert at product in a way like you know like maybe from a sinker lens but like you know you're still not really full-time as a product manager or, or product owner because you're still doing all these other things right um and so someone that actually can put in the full-time hours in as a product in a product capacity that they're, they're probably still learning a little bit more than you or like they're just getting more exposure and and so you kind of become this real like kind of generalist but you're not quite the expert in everything <laughs> Yeah. And so like, I have to like now my, I'm transitioning from like, you know, being like heavily product to now something else. And I need to figure out like, what's, what's, the, what, what does Sinker need from me most now? You know? And like, I think more and more I'm becoming more of that kind of like head of people or culture like that type. Yep. Um, and I've only really been doing that kind of like, certainly not full time over the last four to five years. And, and, and so that I feel like that's a, that's the next steep learning curve for me. Yeah. That's, that's it, man. You know, let those people do the thing they're good at and then you have to uh, go find your other thing you're good at, which is, uh, which is interesting, but you'll get there. I'm sure you will. Um, speaking mm-hmm. of people doing things they're good at anyone, um, any particular people or businesses that you admire and that you, go you know they look like they've got it together we all know people don't have it together but is there anyone who you admire <laughs> uh from a business perspective i really love patagonia um just because you know like they well you know i mean it's just from my from my 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 background yeah just it's just this brand that's just so value driven 
Mm-hmm. And like it feels like like the like the harder they try not to sell, <laughs> the more they sell. <laughs> like it's like one of these like unbelievable like brands that they've created. Yeah. Um, and then you know they found Avon. Um, like you know his recent pledge. Like that's that, that's pretty inspiring too. Yeah. Um, people. I mean, you know, I look at you guys, but like I kind of like lately have been really really interested at the release like in um lee kuan yu the the i guess the 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 founder of singapore modern singapore Mm. um i just find that him really interesting in terms of um basically building this city state from like a swampland um and like a like a very tiny kind of land with very little resources and kind of like you know, like stuck to Malaysia and like kind of not really anything <laughs> to what it is now. Um, it's insane, yeah, isn't it? Those photos of, you know, like here's Singapore 20 years ago and here it is now. And you're like, what? That's not the same place, surely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just like one generation from like third world to first world. Like that's like, you know, I mean, obviously no country is perfect and, and, and no leader is perfect, but like just in terms of, building from something from nothing into what it is now it's like really interesting to me yeah yeah that's that's cool man and i, I yeah it's that is a fascinating story and every time every time i go there I, I walk away from the place going yeah how can such a small piece of land be so pivotal to so many people and businesses it's um it's it's doesn't make a lot it's sort of a cognitive dissonance right <laughs> yeah yeah indeed um Cool. Um, let's wrap this up. What's next for Sinkio? You know, where are you heading, and uh, what's exciting? Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, we're we're, we're creating this this category of commerce called collaborative commerce. Um, we're bringing this into the world, and and this world is really like a place where there are no boundaries between businesses, entrepreneurs, and creators. Uh, like sharing products or or any type of value has no friction. So. So we started with inventory, making that really shareable across e-commerce platforms um, and then other backend kind of like, you know, vital pieces mm-hmm. that need to be shared as well. Uh, orders, product information, we're, we're building the full set. So like, you know, we've just launched payouts. So the revenue, revenue sharing aspect between retailers and suppliers is much easier now. Um, payments will be the next and, and just really building out that that end-to-end solution to what we call collaborative commerce. I mean, that's that's so cool. That's next. And it's really exciting for me. Who, um, you know, out of those, uh, you know, actors you just mentioned in that that sort of group of people, like mm. where, um, what what does that collaborative commerce really like? Who does that enable to really sort of do something new? I mean, you know, what what really inspires me with with who 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 that really benefits is anyone <laughs> it's a big you know, audience like the, yeah like it's like uh you know like we like we were, i talked about this the other day with the team like i want like i seriously want someone like you know from a third world country right like that like you know like if as long as they have access to internet you know they can use a syncio to basically change their trajectory and you know like if they can if they can start an e-commerce store they don't even need a a, a physical space they don't need a uh you know, they don't even need to have a physical product. They can use Syncure to find, you know, a supplier that they want to work with and um, 
and, and sell and list their products on the, on, a, on the e-commerce store. And then if they make sales, then, you know, Synco basically takes care of the rest. They send back the order to the supplier to fulfill and ship to the customer and then they get paid. And if we could do that and they get paid enough to, 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 to make a living out of, then that's incredible. Yeah, right. It really is connecting up, you know, the, the personal brand and the people that are out there, you know, backing themselves <clears throat> with some products that, you know, is hopefully useful for them and their customers. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, um, this has been fantastic and I'm really excited for where you're heading with Syncio. Um, I think, um, you know, the future is, is, is pretty bright if you can help everybody do the things they're trying to do, like you said. Um, I think it's hard to um, narrow down an ad on Google when you're advertising to everybody, but I'm sure you'll figure that out. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, mate, good luck with your recent growth. As, as I said, it's been, it's been great seeing you accelerate over the last couple of months and, um, and we're really proud to have you inside the Tractor family. So thanks for your time today, Jimmy. It's been awesome chatting, man. Thanks, thanks for the opportunity. I had a great time. Thanks. See ya. That was Hard Mode with Sinkyo founder Jimmy Zong in conversation with Matt Allen. You can find Sinkyo online at sinkyo.co. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.